guide us through for as high as the heavens above so great is the measure of our Father's love oh great is the measure of our Father's love oh just think about His love oh think about His about His grace that's brought us through for as high as the heavens above so great is the measure of our Father's love know about the love of Jesus I do oh I do does anybody know about the love of Jesus I do yes I do Does anybody know about the grace of Jesus? I do, I do. Oh, does anybody know about the grace of Jesus? I do, yes, I do. Everybody knows about the power of Jesus. I do, I do. Oh, if anybody knows about the power of Jesus, I do. Yes, I do. Just sing us one more time. Now, if anybody knows about the love of Jesus, oh, I do, oh, I do. Oh, if anybody knows about the love of Jesus, I do, yes, I do. speed it up just a little bit here keep it in the same key um, let's sing that song fill my way 
So fill my way every day with love As I walk with the heavenly dove Let me go all the while with a song and a smile Fill my way every day with love Now let me walk, blessed Lord, in the way Thou hast gone, leading straight Land above, oh, giving cheer everywhere to the sad and the low. Fill my way every day with love. So fill my way every day with love. As I walk with the heavenly dove, let me go all the while with the Fill my way every day with love. Keep me close to the side of my Savior and God. Let me never in darkness roam. Oh, keep my path free from wrath and my soul satisfied. Fill my way every day with love. Oh, fill my way every day with love. As I walk with the heavenly dove Let me go all the while with a song and a smile Oh, I fill my way every day with love Now soon the race will be o'er and I'll travel no more Abide in my home above Oh, let me Blessed King, all the way to the shore, fill my way every day with love. So fill my way every day with love, as I walk with the heavenly dove. Let me go all the while with a song and a smile, fill my way every day with love. So fill my way every day with love As I walk with the heavenly love And let me go all the while with a song and a smile Fill my way every day with love Amen. Let's go ahead and uh, we'll change the order of the service here. Let's put it in the key of C. I think it is um, in moments like these. Let's just sing this now before we take our needs before the Lord. In moments like these, I sing out a song. I sing out a love song to in moments like these, I lift up my hands and I sing out a love song to you. Oh, sing me now. 
hands for just a moment. And if the uh, musicians would continue to play that softly. We just want to uh, remember uh, Anderson, who is recovering uh, this evening and is not able to be with us. So we just want to remember him. And we want to continue to remember uh, Sister Smith uh, with her going through so many things right now. We just want to continue to hold her up in prayer. Uh, Also, uh, we have Sister Connie Hughes, who's still recovering, I believe. And so we just want to remember her and Brother Troy. Uh, Also, uh, Sister Sharon McCafferty and uh, the whole McCafferty family is not with us. Um, They are having to isolate for her procedure tomorrow. So we just want to remember them in prayer and just remember her tomorrow while uh, she goes through her procedure. Um, Also, uh, I have here uh, Sister Laura Collins. Uh, to remember her from Edmonton. So we just want to remember her. And if you would, please uh, remember Sister Amber, my aunt. Uh, She's not with us this evening. She's uh, having some issues with her back. Uh, So we just want to remember her, as well as uh, Chris Clayville and uh, his family. They're having to uh, be in isolation. Uh, So we just want to remember them. And uh, finally, we just want to uh, continue to remember uh, Lucas and Haley. They're uh, away still, and so we just want to remember them that they'll have safe travels. And uh, I know we all have many unspoken prayer requests as well, just by the lifting of your hand. And uh, God knows all of those needs, and uh, he knows what needs to be done for those needs. So if you would just stand, and if I could have Brother Josh come and pray over these prayer requests and just uh, turn the service over. Let's just bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful, Lord, to be in this uh, assembly, Lord, tonight. Thankful, Lord, that you're still providing, Lord, a way to come and draw close to you, Father. Lord, your mercies, Lord, are new every day. We pray for these ones, Lord, who've written in requests, Lord, and we ask you, Lord, just to be with the requests, Lord, that are also in our hearts. We pray, Lord, for this song service, Lord, may it be a uh, special, Lord, to you as special to us, Lord. We pray for the speaker, Lord, tonight. May you just bless this uh, message, Lord, and can just uh, open our ears, Lord, to hear the word, Lord, tonight. And let us to put away, Lord, the thoughts, Lord, of the day. And may we just be able to focus, Lord, just a little time, Lord, here with you. We're thankful, Lord, for all that you've uh, done for us, Lord. Uh, so far, Lord, today we just ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats. Let's just sing that song again just as you're seated. And um, we'll just take a few moments here before Brother Barry comes. In moments like these, I sing a song.
Praise the Lord. Good to be in God's house tonight. Good to have all of you with us tonight. I did not mention um, to Mitchell this evening here, uh, just before we go to prayer, uh, Sister Karen uh, has got a an eye condition that um, is going to have to be uh, operated on and uh, has cataracts, and so we're going to pray that the Lord will touch her and uh, give her back complete eyesight and give her uh, rapid recovery after uh, after suffering with that. We know that's difficult. And um, <clears throat> also, as well, I was talking to Brother Samuel Pugh uh, today, and uh, they're in the process of establishing a new business, and they're kind of tied up uh, during the week, and so he uh, they're not here uh, tonight and asked to be remembered in prayer as well, so I told him we would surely do that. Let's stand to our feet tonight. Brother John, Sister Hannah, good to have you with us tonight. God bless you. Brother Mike, God bless you. Good to see the Holloways here. And uh, appreciate all of you being with us. Let's take our Bible, if you will. Let's go to uh, our text this evening in Exodus chapter 15. We'd like to read a little portion there this evening. Exodus, the 15th chapter. And I'd like to read just one verse, but hold on to your Bible there. We're going to look at a couple of passages, and we're going to look at a little bit more in this chapter here. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we embark on this service tonight, Lord, as we enter into your courts with thanksgiving in our hearts, as we assemble ourselves this evening, Lord, in faith, we are praying in the name of Jesus Christ that you would move on the scene, Lord, and take every spirit, including my own, under your control and, Lord, you may receive all the glory and the honor and the praise. And Father, I just move myself out of the way and ask, O oh God, that you would be gracious this evening in passing this way and speaking, Lord, to every heart. We are a people certainly who are needy, and so we humble ourselves before you tonight and just pray that you would move on the scene in a very special and very personal way. We commit our time into your hands now tonight and asking you, Lord, to bless those that are uh, in need tonight, and several that are uh, watching, Lord, in a way we think of Sister Sharon, Lord, facing the uh, procedure tomorrow, and we ask and pray that you would just comfort her with your presence as you have already, and Lord, give her a complete recovery, we, we pray. We ask it all in Jesus Christ's lovely name, amen. And all God's people said, amen. Exodus chapter 15, let's take a reading tonight. The Lord is a man of war, the Lord is his name. May God bless his word this evening. You can be seated. The children of Israel, after coming out of Egypt, came to a conclusion very swiftly that the Lord we serve, the Lord our God, is a warrior. In the Hebrew language, this says, in the very first part of verse 3, it says, the Lord, the warrior, the Lord is his name. Our God fights. That's what they figured out. Our God fights. And he fights for us. And he loves us. And he's not going to allow Satan to strangle us or bind us forever. Our God is a God of war. He's not afraid to wade in and fight the enemies that we face. Whether it's in the Red Sea or whether it's George Washington on his horse. Or whether it's for the Bride of Christ in the last day. Whether it's for Martin Luther nailing thesis to the door. Our God fights. And he loves his people and he cares about what we go through. I think it's a wonderful comforting thing. This is what... 
excuse me, what the children of Israel uh, concluded when they uh, crossed over out of Egypt through the, uh, through the Red Sea on dry land. Verse 1, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider he hath thrown into the sea. And the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will prepare him in habitation. My Father is God and I will exalt him. In other words, the, the essence is, uh, we have nowhere else to go. Who would you want to go to? Our God reigns. Our God fights. Our God is supreme. We have nothing to fear as long as God's on our side. And the children of Israel knew what it felt like to be on the right side of the pillar of fire. On one side, you remember, before they crossed over, there was darkness. And on the other side, there was light. On one side, the horses and the animals were all troubled. On the other side, there was peace in the camp. And today, every one of us want to be on the right side. We want to remain on the right side of the pillar of fire before we cross over uh, into the kingdom of God. And I believe we're at that point where uh, things are escalating and things are uh, rapidly uh, moving along uh, in a way that maybe none of us uh, fully really understand or expect. Now, I want to embark on a, on a subject here that's not new, but it is uh, a significant one and uh, for us uh, especially. And I want to uh, introduce some of these uh, concepts tonight, and then we want to uh, wade into this subject here on spiritual warfare. I think that in a lot of ways there's many misconceptions really about the message, and misconceptions... Uh, abound really in this world there's a lot of things that you think people understand or a lot of things that you think people know or you assume people uh, get it uh, there's a lot of things that uh, that can be misconceived they can be misunderstood and uh, I think it's it's a really important thing that uh, we uh, we don't have misconceptions about the Bible and the things of God. I, I think that uh, we should be very clear. We should teach it very clear. And if we if we teach it and it doesn't uh, come clear, maybe we need to teach it again. Uh, if we teach it and it doesn't act the way it's supposed to act in us, then maybe we should uh, rethink it. Maybe we should reteach it. It's not the Word's fault. It's not God's fault. It's not. Uh, it, it's not His prophet's fault. It is our fault, really, in our understanding or our lack of ability to let God interpret it. And so there are a lot of misconceptions, there's a lot of misunderstandings. Let me give you the best example, one of the best examples I know of the word, of the uh, idea of a misconception. And uh, years ago, there was a story that was found in the, uh, that I read about the Pentagon. And this is an aerial view of the Pentagon. the uh, the uh, Russians and the um, uh, some of the East Europeans back in the day when the Pentagon was built, they looked at this photograph quite often. They uh, concluded by the design of this building, because it was the uh, central office of the uh, you know the American Armed Forces, and this is where uh, military decisions were made, this is where plans are carried out, this is where budgets were uh, determined. This is a very important place when it comes to uh, arming and defending the country, that uh, they figured that naturally the American government would be very keen on defending this country. So they, I mean, that, and that would be logical, right? I mean, if you're going to have a, uh, a fort in the wilderness, you're going to put a fence around it, you're going to guard it, because, you know, in the middle of it, you're going to have... Uh, the captain's quarters and so forth. So the idea is that uh, when they studied this photograph without really knowing, and especially during the Cold War when 
armies didn't, uh, you know, they were not friendly with one another, and we didn't visit the Russian government in Moscow, and they didn't visit our military leaders over here in the U.S., so there was a, there was a, a, a distance there. So they never had visited the Pentagon, but they studied this picture, this aerial view. They concluded that right in the middle of it, it was a nuclear uh, uh, bunker right in the center of it, and that was the nose cone of a uh, intercontinental ballistic missile and armed with nuclear weapons, that's exactly what was in the center. I mean, where would you, where else would you logically put us, uh, you know, a, a very strategic weapon, but right in the most strategic place, which was in the center of the Pentagon to protect it and defend Washington. So finally, after the Cold War eased up and tensions eased and, uh, we did exchanges between military leaders and top brass, there was one of the, uh, lead Russian, uh, generals who came over to America and visited with the American generals, and they brought them to the Pentagon, showed them around, showed them uh, lots of different things there, and when they went out on the patio in the center of it there around lunchtime, they offered the general, they said, would you like to have some coffee or tea? Russians like coffee and tea, and they have generally good coffee and tea over there, and the Russian general said yes, but he said, you're taking me to the center, and they sa- he said, yes, let's go, let's ha- have some coffee and tea. And what he discovered, what the general discovered, was that underneath this pavilion right here in the center of the picture was indeed a coffee station. It was a coffee kiosk where they made coffee. And he couldn't believe his eyes. He could not believe at all that this was, uh, this was not a, a nuclear weapon aimed and, you know, primed and ready to go, but it was indeed a coffee shop that they had put in the center of the Pentagon. It was a classic misconception. Very good misconception. Dealing with spiritual warfare means, dealing with spiritual warfare implies that we have an enemy who is a master at creating misconceptions. I don't know why this isn't working here tonight. But I will guarantee you, whenever you talk about spiritual warfare, something happens. I remember one time, I was a, year, a number of years ago, I was talking about spiritual warfare, and, and I was in Scotland preaching over there, and we were in the University of, of uh, Scotland in, uh, in Glasgow. And as soon as I began talking about it, all the lights, the power went out in the entire university. And uh, everybody had to get out of the building because the alarms were going off and the, the power went off. It, it was just, this is just, this is just consistent here. There's an old European proverb that says that age and treachery will always defeat youth and zeal. Age and treachery will always defeat youth and zeal. I will tell you that when it comes to uh, dealing with spiritual warfare, we face an enemy who has lots of experience, and he is treacherous. And he is not afraid to use all of his weapons, especially when he knows that we are entering into the day of the Lord. The evil day or the day of the Lord is the day when the Gentiles' time runs out and Satan's forces are turned against God's people. And in that season, grace runs out and the judgment cycle begins and God's people are taken away. There are preparations that are being made for God's people to be taken away. But Satan's forces turn against God's people and it truly is a day of great trouble. It is a day of great strife. We move into a time where grace ceases for the Gentiles and then God deals in judgment with uh, the rest of the Gentile world as he turns back to Israel. 
But when we deal with, uh, when we deal with spiritual warfare, this is an area where, and let me, and let me be very, uh, I want to be as clear as I possibly can, that this is an area where youth and zeal will never win over age and treachery. There's a lot of young people who think that they are invincible. They are unconcerned about futures. They feel like they have the world by the tail. And this is an area of great attack by Satan to make you feel like because I'm young and I'm vibrant and i got lots of time ahead of me and I can correct all kinds of things and so forth, that I really don't need to worry about, uh, you know, the wiles of the enemy. And I'm here to tell you that I believe that you do. You do have to worry about the wiles of the enemy because the enemy is very slick and the enemy is very treacherous. I believe that it's time for us, especially uh, who live in this age and God places us in this age, to wake up and realize that the spirit of the cosmos has really permeated the realm of the church. The spirit of the cosmos has really permeated the realm of the church. Now, I say permeated, I don't mean that it's taken over uh, the church, but it has permeated the church. Now, just for a minute, just stop for a minute and give me a, uh, give me a couple of minutes here on this, uh, saying it this way. That our country, really, in, in, a, in a very real sense, is, is very much divided, isn't it? Our country is really divided. And a lot of the division is fueled by fake news. A lot of it is fueled by uh, misinformation and misconceptions about things. Social media has, already, has also created a platform for people to say what they want, any way they want, to anyone they want without any accountability whatsoever. Isn't that true? People have a blog or they have a a website or people got a phone and they feel like they can say whatever they want. Their conversations would be different if they were face-to-face. Many times conversations would be different if they were face-to-face. And you know that's true. But a lot of people feel like, uh, you know what, I'm just going to say it anyway. I'm going to throw it out there and you got to deal with it. Uh, I'm not going to hold back any further and so forth. Hey, listen, I'll tell you what, that may be the cosmos out there, but my problem is I don't have any Bible verses that allow you to practice disrespect. I don't have any Bible verses for that. And so the spirit of the cosmos really, in a sense, has affected a lot of people who claim to be Christians, and I think that's a very treacherous thing. I think it's a very subtle thing that a lot of people, uh, you know, really can be pulled along and they can be influenced by false things that go on. And I think it's a, I think it's an absolute shame because the real villain often is not sin, but ignorance. Ignorance of how the devil fights. Ignorance of how the devil plans things. The real problem very often is not sin because a lot of people who, uh, we associate with believe the message. We're not unbelievers of the message. We believe that, uh, God did send the message and that God is the author of it. Right? Come on, folks. We're a people who believe the message of the hour as God has sent it. And we put the devil in a doctrinal box and expected him to stay there. And you know what we found out? He came around the back door and, uh, you know, did damage coming this way and did damage coming that way. And we were all looking maybe in one direction and he came in another direction. He undermines relationships. He resists the saints. He weakens our resolves to fight battles, and very often we fail to discern the wiles of the devil and how he actually operates. I'm here to tell you that, even though I'm not going to be long tonight, I'm here to tell you that I believe that 
uh, God had a remedy for us in the last day that we can employ. I believe that God has, uh, he has descriptions even of the battle that we have to fight. Let me, let me say it this way. Let me put this scripture up here. Uh, this evening in Ephesians 6:10, this is what I would refer to as the dress code of the bride of Christ. He says in Ephesians 6, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's a general command. But remember now, God never gives us a command without telling us how to fulfill that command. Right. God just doesn't say here, I want you to do this. But he actually gives us uh, instructions and commands on how to fulfill that. The specific command in Ephesians 6.11 is to put on the whole armor of God. This is the dress code for the bride of Christ. We put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Hold on to that. We'll come back to that word wiles in just a little bit. The reason for the command is this, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. So the reason that we have the command uh, is because these things do exist, and they do exist in a very real way. Our problem is, is that we're often caught up with looking at the natural, we're looking at the physical, we're looking at the obvious, right? We're looking at people's facial expressions, we're looking at uh, the sweet tone of people's voice. Uh, I've known some pretty corrupt people who had very nice voices, and uh, we, we as the people of God, we should be conditioned to be looking beyond that outward veil and looking as God looks. Not as critics, but uh, knowing a little better that just because somebody has an outward appearance of, uh, you know, acting like a Christian, dressing like a Christian, or attending a message church, that everything is okay. Hey, listen, I will tell you what, if I was a father and I had uh, a daughter today, I'd be very careful about, uh, about who I let my daughter get associated with. Uh, in a, in a, and I'm telling you that from my heart, I really would. That magna, that's magnified about four or five times when my granddaughters I have one of them sitting here in the front row. Um, I, I offered for my son if he ran out of rounds in the shotgun just to let me know. <clears throat> but I will say this that, uh, with all due respect that, uh, Satan, Satan operates sometimes in very subtle ways. And, uh, his, his wiles are worth talking about, and I want to deal with that this evening. And all I want to do is introduce some things to you. Now, this was a comment that was made in 1949 by a brother who was uh, standing in the pulpit. It wasn't Brother Neville, but there was another minister who came to the pulpit and talked about Brother Branham in a, uh, a sermon where at the end of this sermon, Brother Branham went outside the assembly, uh, outside the sanctuary, to pray for somebody who had cancer. And uh, we don't hear from Brother Branham in this particular paragraph, but uh, he was outside praying for somebody who was quite sick and couldn't come in the assembly. And so this brother got up in the pulpit and he made these comments here. And he said, now, um, I'm sorry, let me, if you don't mind, let me just jump here. It's the message experiences. And Brother Branham said, or sorry, this brother said, uh, and he's not named, of hundreds and hundreds of preachers of different faiths and our own faith. I have never yet met a man manifesting the humility day to day that Brother Branham manifests. The weight of this is crushing the very life out of him. And you don't realize what it means to fight the powers of darkness. All the powers of the enemy are turned loose against him. Now, this is when Brother Branham actually, uh, you know, he was uh, going through a time where he felt like the weight or the pressure of the ministry was becoming too great. And he says, if I don't make a change, he says, within a year or so, I won't even be around. 
and he's going through this season here, and it's been a very uh, trying time for Brother Branham, and he's, you know, this is where he was standing in the pulpit for even days at a time. He would stand there, and they would feed him, and, uh, you know, uh, he would continue to pray for people because there was so many needs. And so this brother says the weight of this uh, and the ministry is crushing the very life out of him. And he says, you perhaps only have a small portion against you, but remember the person, the reason that Jesus suffered on the cross was not because of his own sins, but because the powers of hell were determined to crush him. And so if you have anything special from God, the powers of darkness are going to do the best to crush you. Now, Brother Bram didn't say that, but I, I thought it was an interesting commentary on, uh, you know, how they viewed Brother Branham back then. But I think it's also true that uh, whenever you attempt to do things good for God and you're actually the object of God's blessing, that invites a response by the enemy. When you're doing things right, and sometimes that, uh, that even stumbles people because they're doing things right. They're doing things according to the word, and they're doing things in the way that God requires. And that, that very often will draw a reaction from Satan because he's going to throw everything he can at you to discourage you during that season. And I found that to be very true. Florence Nightingale said, life is a hard fight. A struggle, a wrestling with the principles of evil, hand to hand, foot to foot, and every inch of the way is disputed. I would not want to be dealing with, uh, with the enemy that we deal with today without I knew the presence of God was with us. All right, here's Brother Branham, Divine Love, 1956, Divine Love and Sovereign Grace, and he says, now, and he was referring to the sermon that he preached the night before called Earnestly Contending for the Faith. Now, he said that isn't contending with each other, but we are just contending against the wiles of the devil, against Buddhism, Mohammedism, hundreds of idols and gods of this world, against the God of America and the God of Canada, and many of their idols of worldliness. We're contending that there's one true living God, and that he's just as live tonight as he ever was. How many can say amen? He's a God who fights, right? He's a God of war. He's a God who is victorious in every battle that he enters into. And we are not here with a fictitious belief. We're not here all emotionally wrapped up in some emotion or psychology or enthusiasm. But we're here in the presence of the living God, resurrected Jesus Christ, who stands with us tonight and lives and proves himself to be alive, raised from the dead, and is here with us now. There's a misconception, really, about the message that, uh, you know, people will think, well, it's just another movement, it's how I grew up, it's what I always knew, I never knew denominationalism, I always have known the message, I cut my teeth on the back of a message pew, and so that's all I've ever known, and, uh, you know, it's just another, uh, just another movement, and it's just another, hey, listen, I got news for you, that's a misconception. This is, this is not just another movement, it's not another church, it's not Pentecost Plus, let me tell you, this is not some fiction, and it's not uh, some uh, the result of, of the ministry of one man. I believe that we are standing in the presence of the living, resurrected Jesus Christ. And I believe when you pick on the bride, I believe you're going to wind up fighting more than just that person yourself. I believe if God, if this message is right, and I believe if it's true, then I believe that you're going to have, uh, you know, quite a, uh, quite a shock when you, when you, uh, attack God's people, because I believe that our God fights and he fights on behalf of his bride. I believe that, saints of God, that, uh, you know, there are people out there who are, uh, you know, fighting in, in one way or another, and I'm not referring to our church here, but I'm saying that in general there are, uh, there are spiritual struggles that go on, and very often, 
Uh, I was talking to somebody, I was actually talking to Tyler today, he's not uh, here tonight, he's working, but I was talking to Tyler this afternoon, and he was talking about some of the things that he has found have changed ever since he's been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and we were discussing that, and he said, he said, you know, I, I just, he said, I'll I tell you what, he said, I, I can sleep better, he said, I, I feel I have peace, and you know, just some good things that are going on, and I said, let me tell you, let me, let me summarize what you're trying to express here, because he was, he was uh, struggling to find the words to say it. And I said, whenever you have a physical expression of something, a physical or a natural expression of something, I said, that's usually preceded by something in the spiritual realm or the supernatural realm that, that, that God has done. And I said, in the, when, when you have, when you have the physical expression, uh, of something, it's usually because there's something behind it that's already going on. And so I said, if God is dealing with your heart, and if God is, uh, you know, causing new life to begin to come forth, and if indeed you are now being governed by the Holy Spirit, I said, that's going to express itself in your life. It really has to. Right? It has to. And, and there's going to begin to be fruits of that right repentance and that right new birth that takes place in a person. And, uh, you know, they begin to show uh, a peace and a love and a joy and a contentment about things and are not. I said, you know, the job that you're in hasn't changed. The people you work for have not changed. The clothes you're wearing have not changed and the vehicle you're driving hasn't changed. The thing that's changed is you. And so therefore, when there's something internal that's happened, it's going to express itself on the outside. So we see it in the natural, but something supernatural has gone on. We see it in the visible, but something invisible has taken place. We see it in the natural, but there's something spiritual that takes place. Isn't that right? Well, you know, that's true on the other side as well. And it's true if we go backwards. Uh, that is true also about, uh, for instance, if you, know, you, you think about uh, the idea of jealousy. Or uh, pride or something like that. I will guarantee you that when you see a person who is jealous, uh, they, are, they are a person who has something going on on the inside and it begins to express itself in the natural. And that natural thing is not the problem. That's a symptom of what's going on on the inside. Can you say amen? We find God to be a jealous God as we've studied this before, but God is never envious. Because jealousy is the intolerance of rivalry. God did not want to have anybody uh, worship uh, them more than uh, worship to God, right? He says, I am the Lord your God. There's no other God beside me. But envy is, is resentfulness of another's advantage. Envy is the resentful feeling that somebody has of another's advantage. So when somebody, uh, when somebody excels and somebody does something better, uh, then a person can, uh, they can be jealous of that, but they can also be envious of that. And when envy enters into it, we have all of a sudden a resentment that builds up there, and that resentment is the thing that's going to cause damage. Right? Like Cain and Abel, or like David and Saul, when they said, when, when the, the women sang that Saul has, has killed these ten thousands. Jealousy is nothing more than self-fury, and it is a personal attack on yourself for not doing what you know you had, what, which had to be done, which is invented toward those who are doing what there needs to be done. Let me say it again. Jealousy is nothing more than self-fury. It is a personal attack on yourself for not doing what you know had to be done, 
which is then vented outward to those who are doing what needs to be done. I like that. But you know what? In reality, no matter how good, no matter how fast you run, there's going to be somebody who's going to run faster. No matter how fast you swim, somebody's going to swim faster. No matter how good you sing, there's somebody going to sing better. The problem with jealousy and envy starts with comparison. Comparison is the seedbed for jealousy and envy. Isn't that right? Because really, for a Christian, our joy is not based on what everybody else thinks of us. Even if we fail sometimes, that's not what our joy is based on. Our joy is not based on our own personal performance. Our joy is based on the fact that we are in the right relationship with Christ. And we're in the right standing with Christ. Isn't that right? And if I died today, I know exactly where I'd go. And so I look at myself in the same way that Father God looks at me. And if we can speak evil of somebody else, you're not looking at that somebody else like Father God does. And that would be a real good thing for people to practice. So therefore, it is, it is essentially an outward expression of something that's going on on the inside. And there's a misconception meaning that, uh, you know, there are people who feel like, well, if I, uh, you know, if I come to church and I'm, I'm a part of the church, so then I'm okay. If I associate with the bride or if I mail my tithes in, uh, you know, I'll be okay. I've talked to pastors lately who have said to me that, uh, they have whole subcultures of people in their church who never returned after uh, the COVID isolation uh, phase went past. And there are people who felt like, you know what, watching church with a big gulper and sitting in my chair and mailing my tithes in is really kind of a nice way to go. Nobody was condemned in doing that when uh, we had the restrictions placed on us, right? But there's a lot of people felt like, well, you know what, this is a better way. And I don't really need to be a part of the body except in my mind. And so therefore, I'm going to stay where I am and be isolated. Wow, imagine if your body parts took the same attitude. And they're all scattered all over the place, right? We wouldn't, I mean, it wouldn't be a very pretty picture if that was the way it was. And these pastors said that these are people who profess to love the message and they, uh, you know, they love their, uh, love their pastor and, you know, they want to pay tithes and all the rest of it and, uh, all the other, uh, parts that go along with it. But you know what? They have chosen to ignore a specific part of it. And that is a characteristic of Laodicea. Now, Laodicea is a very, was a very interesting place. And, you know, you've heard, uh, definitions about Laodicea and so forth. But I will tell you this that Laodicea was a city that laid between two other cities. And in each of those two cities, there were rivers that ran. And one of them was Colossae, and it had a cold river, fresh water that ran in that river. So it seemed to be always cold uh, and refreshing in the Middle East. And that river was known for its refreshing quality. On the other side of Laodicea, there was a city called Hierapolis. I've been there. And it is a, a city that also has a main river running down the middle of it. And the waters were hot. People came there for healing all the time. The warm waters, sitting in the warm waters. And it helped people, uh, especially who had, uh, you know, skeletal issues and arthritis and so forth. So they, they came there because the, the hot waters were healing. The problem was is that in Laodicea, these two rivers ran down over the mountain and they merged right in the middle in Laodicea. And therefore the water became warm. It was lukewarm. Lukewarm water was really useless. Nobody really used it for very much at all. 
uh, because it was lukewarm and it didn't have the refreshing qualities uh, of, of the Colossae River and it didn't have the, uh, you know, the healing virtues of the uh, other river in Hierapolis. And so, therefore, that's the way uh, Laodicea was. There were people who were kind of caught in the middle and they were really not much good for anything else. That's the last place that you and I would want to be, as caught in the middle and not being effective for God or on fire for God and being hot or cold. And that's why God says to Laodicea in the very last of it, you should be hot or cold. The misconception is that, well, if I'm a part of the youth group and, uh, you know, I, I go to HBT and, uh, you know, I, I attend all the right camps and say all the right things and don't have a tattoo anywhere, then I must be okay. And the misconception is, is that that's really not what the message teaches us at all. The message teaches us that there's no life outside of a new birth and there really is no life outside of an encounter with Jesus Christ. And Brother Branham says in the God of this evil age, this message points out the evils of this evil age and is fitting to prophesy for this evil age. This message now, think about this message that we believe. It points out the evils of this evil age. How many would agree that it does that? But how about if those evils lay in us? How about if that darkness resides in us? Demons and bad angels or rogue angels dwell in darkness. They were banned and confined to darkness. Well, how about if there is darkness in some of us? Then therefore we have, huh, we have a battle all of a sudden here. And Brother Branham says, and it's my belief that the Bible has every answer for every age already written in the Bible for the believer of that age. You know, it's interesting because, <clears throat> it's interesting because, if the Bible has every answer for every age already written in there for the believer of that age, then my goodness, we cannot say we don't have a solution. We do have solutions. God has already provided us with the solutions. The important thing would be the Holy Spirit, who is the author of the word, interpret that word and bring it to pass. I believe that everything we have need of is written right here. It just needs to be interpreted by the Holy Spirit. It does not need to be interpreted by you. It does, you do not need to be a judge of God's people or God's word. It's true. It's right. God's already got, uh, an understanding of it and, uh, for us and He has it for our age. So therefore, there's nothing we can face. There's nothing we can confront in this age that is, uh, not already spoken of or addressed in the Bible. So, Let's do this, and let's dig into a little bit to it here. Now, in the message communion here, Brother Branham says, Now, I know we have met for one purpose, and that is to further the cause of Christ. And again, now, he's referring to this meeting, uh, the, the, the gathering of the bride, gathering of God's people in the last day. Why do we have this message? How can we make it work better in our lives? How can, how can we make it work better in our congregations? I don't want to miss out on anything that the Bible has for me in this last age. I don't want to be living in defeat. I don't want to be, I, I mean, I don't want to preach my heart out and then the end of the road have people who, uh, you know, had, had, were under some illusion or something else and we live below our privileges. My goodness, I, I don't want to live that way. I want to, if, if God has answers for us, if God has deliverance for us, if God has peace for us, if God has joy for us, hey, let's, let's accept it. Let's, let's rejoice in it. Let's reach out and, and apprehend it. Let's, 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 let's possess the land that God has provided for us. 
And he says, and if we've come for any other idea, then we will not be blessed of the Lord. We've come for help. We've come looking to God. And this is the house of correction where God gives us his blessings and corrects us from the wrong. It is a blessing when God corrects us from the wrong, from the wrong attitude. But you had to be willing now to let the Holy Spirit search your heart. It's not necessary that I list your faults or your weak areas. It's not necessary that I do that. It is not as necessary that you do that for your neighbor. It's not necessary that you take the words that are being said in any particular given sermon or any, any kind of a, a church service and apply it to somebody else. I, I mean, lots of people do that. I just don't find any scripture mandate where we're supposed to do that. I think really the buck stops right where you are. You are the only person in this class, right? You're the only one the Holy Spirit's trying to get a hold of. That's why he called you. That's why he loves you. It's not because he hates you, but those I love, I rebuke and chasten. And so the work of the Holy Spirit in love is to make us more fit for the kingdom we're moving into and to correct the things that are not there because the spirit of the cosmos has affected and permeated the church. And so Brother Bram says that's what we study. He said ministers study those places for their people. When they see the people, the lack, they begin on that. Now, Brother Mike's an evangelist, and we have other uh, evangelists that we know and respect, and they, they tend to travel a lot, you know. And Brother Mike comes and, and ministers here, and he sees everybody at their best, and everybody's smiling, and, you know, I mean, it looks great. And then he goes on, and hardly, and, and I think that's an unfortunate thing about the evangelistic side of things, that you don't often get the follow-up of what good that sermon did, or how that sermon stirred things up, and how that sermon helped somebody, or how that sermon spoke to my heart. Sometimes it, it can be a year or two before you find out, and you go back to that church, and somebody says, hey, you know what, when you were here last time, this really blessed me, and it's kind of unfortunate that we don't have a hotline to Brother Mike, and uh, you know, we can, we can uh, reach out to him and let him know that. But very often that's what happens. Pastor's job, though, is different. Pastor sees people week after week after week after week, uh, so much so that the shepherd begins to smell like the sheep. Right? So if the, if the sheep smell good and the sheep are happy and, uh, you know, things are moving along in the right direction, perking along, and you know what? The pastor sees that. But when things are not perking along in a, in a, uh, a nice way or a cohesive way or if there's unrest in some way or if there's a wolf close by and we can't see him but we know he's around somewhere then you know what the pastor is going to react differently to that my perspective changes and here's what brother Bram's saying about pastors he said we 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 study from he says, look at the last line, and this is the house of correction where God gives us of his blessings and corrects us from the wrong. And he says, going from where we are to and where we ought to be. That's the goal, from where we are to where we ought to be. And that's what we study. Ministers study those places for their people, and when they see the people, the lack, then they begin on that. Brother Bram often describes this, but this is really nice. It's in, uh, in 1963 in... Uh, um, a sermon. It just escapes me the name of the sermon. He says, I think that the church maybe should be taken just a little step higher at this time. And he says, I don't plan on doing this this morning or showing these things, but now knowing this is the Laodicean age and this, this age needs a sharp rebu- rebuke from God. And he says, he is a father, a father of righteousness and correction and love is always corrected. So therefore, a real father is going to look at the uh, assembly, like a pastor is going to look at their people 
and see, if, my goodness, if there's something that's lacking there, and we're going to begin on that. We're going to begin on that. The coach of uh, Michael Jordan's high school basketball team was sharp enough to know that Michael Jordan had the potential to be a great basketball player. He had, he had the potential to be a real pro, and the coach spotted that in his early years in high school. But Michael Jordan had two things about his game that were really weak. And when it came to this area, he kind of avoided it because he wasn't good at it. And one of them was a reverse jump shot, apparently. I mean, I read this. I don't think I've ever seen him play. But uh, apparently today's his birthday. I thought of this because this morning on, on the news they said, and today happens to be Michael Jordan's birthday. So that, I hope you get the connection. The coach told Michael Jordan, you have two weak spots. And one of them is defense, and the other one is a fadeaway drop or uh, jump shot or whatever whatever it is it's called. And so the coach began to work with him because he already had strengths that were natural to him. He already had good good uh, parts of his game that were already well developed and strong. It was the weak parts that he saw. Michael was avoiding those altogether. When it came to defense, he wanted to get off the court. When it was offense, he wanted to be back out on the court again. So the coach took it upon himself to begin to train Michael on how to think defensively and then how to perfect the shots that he couldn't do. And Michael Jordan, of course, I mean, the rest is history. Uh, it, it took a coach to be able to look at it and see that it was lacking in something in order to develop that and make him an all-around player. Pastors do the same thing. Although we don't have a basketball net, uh, pastors look at their people and they look for things maybe that we lack, and we begin to work on that. We look at, all right, if things are okay doctrinally, uh, is Satan trying to mess us up some way or another in another way? And we want to make sure that our defenses are right. We want to make sure that, uh, you know, things are in place. We want to make sure that the church is in order. We want to make sure uh, that everything is in tip-top shape. And we want to work on the weak areas because that's the area that Satan's going to attack, right? If you're poor on defense, then the, then the enemy is going to attack offensively quite often. And so we want to do that. So we want to make sure we are... Uh, you know, like I said, we're changing things about our website here and uh, doing things that make us a little bit stronger and a little bit better. And I think that's good because there are false prophets that abound. There are stalkers that are bound. There are people who are perverters of God's word. And uh, you know what? I, I would just have to say this, that uh, even though there are people like that who abound, and they always will, it'll always be there. Uh, I, I, the way I look at it is that somebody who has developed a website or an opinion, a strong opinion publicly, and pushes that opinion against Brother Branham, they're betting the whole ranch on one single fact, and that is that Brother Branham was wrong and the message is wrong. They're betting the farm. They're betting the whole ranch. They're betting everything on the fact that Brother Branham was wrong. And God was wrong in sending him, and the message itself is wrong. And I will say this, I'll take up that challenge. I'll take the other side of that, and I'll say that I believe that God was right. I believe that the message is right. I believe that Brother Branham was right. And I'll keep this until God vindicates something better. At least I'll take, uh, you know, the attitude in Acts chapter 5 where uh, Gamaliel said, Hey, listen, if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest happily you be found even fighting against God. So therefore, you're better off leaving it alone. Common sense to tell you leave it alone. And I will say this, I'm not really worried about what some man will do to us because, after all, we're non-Trinitarians. And the reason you're going to lose your head eventually is because you're not a Trinitarian. And that's the key issue that a lot of people will use against, uh, you know, against independent uh, believers like us. 
And again, I'm not, uh, I'm not looking for a fight, I'm not looking for a scrap. To me, I got a job to do. We have a, uh, we have a, a change of our body, uh, to meet up the road here. Uh, I feel like my job is very clear, and that is to prepare everyone, uh, for that thing as much as we possibly can, and, uh, to be learning to do the right things at the right time, uh, so that we achieve and benefit from the blessing of God. You can know what the right thing is and be doing it in the wrong environment and it doesn't do you any good. There are some people who say, well, I pray and nothing happens. Many times it's not God's fault and it's not because God doesn't hear you. It's very often because we don't uh, do the right thing in the right environment. Let me explain that. So, for instance, you could, uh, it, it would be right for you to breathe, but not underwater. Right? Breathing is right, but the wrong environment would be underwater. That wouldn't work. Or if you planted seeds, that's right. But if you planted them in concrete, that would be the wrong environment, right? How about if you pray, but you're praying in the flesh? When the Bible says in Jude chapter 1, that beloved, building yourselves up uh, in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. You can be doing the right thing, but not in the right environment. It's not going to bring forth the results. If you plant seeds, which is the right thing, in concrete, you're not going to get the right results. So therefore, it's important for us to pray. That is the right thing. And I believe that prayer uh, is a very powerful weapon for the people of God because, uh, you know, it opens up that channel. It's a continuous channel between us and God. And I think that's a very important thing for us to have and to practice and to teach our children to have. But we had to make sure if we're going to get results and we want to see results, we had to pray in the Spirit. The devil's job, therefore, is to try to change the spirit in whatever way he possibly can. And once we, uh, very often once conflict strikes the church, everybody goes horizontal. And that's exactly the wrong way to deal with it. Everyone goes horizontal. Everybody says, all right, now who's at fault here? And who said that he said that she said that they said, and we're, we're pointing our guns this way horizontally. Let me tell you, when trouble strikes the church, the best thing to do is go vertical. Not horizontal, but best to go vertical. Can I go a little further? I probably already knocked all the apples off the apple cart here. So, therefore, our, our, our focus then is to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles means trickery. It means cunning arts or deceit or trickery. It is the Greek word methodia. And you can probably figure out, without much more education, what that word would produce in the English language. That Satan has a plan. He has a method. He has a way of infiltrating. He has a way of dealing with people. So therefore, uh, God did not leave the bride with just a bunch of tapes and a bunch of, uh, you know, MP3 players or something in the end time. He gave the children of God, he gave the, the, the bride of Christ through the ages a fivefold ministry so that we would grow up, right? And that we would all come in the unity of the faith. And that we would henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they trick or cunningly deceive. That possibility exists in our world. This is what Paul is saying. So therefore, God gave the ministry, God gave the word, God gave... Aren't you glad that God gave a prophet in this last day? I mean, you got to think about what it would be like for you just to read your Bible alone. And I thank God for the Bible. But I'm grateful for the illumination I have on the Bible through the message of the hour. Brother Branham was not God, the message is not the Bible. All right? Are we all right with that? 
But I'm thank God for what I know about the Bible through the eyes of a prophet that came in the last day because the word of the Lord comes to? Not the congregation, right? It doesn't come to the pastor even. It comes to the prophet. And so therefore, we have great illumination in this last day so that we are not tossed to and fro because Satan is always methodically planning and trying to trick you into thinking the wrong thing. He's trying to trick you into doing the wrong thing. That's his job. That's what, he's, uh, that's what his best strength is. And so therefore, we have to know how to respond. We have to know how to respond against the attacks of Satan and how he attacks and uh, the ways that he will come against God's people. Now, here's an Old Testament example here in Numbers chapter 25. And you remember when uh, Phineas, who uh, saw the, the Israelite uh, brother come into church and he had a, a Cushite woman who was... Uh, with him, you remember? And he took the javelin, killed him on the spot, first deacon. And they carried him out, and God responded to that and said, Hey, there's, there's a man I'm going to bless in multiple generations. And the Lord spoke unto Moses after that, saying, Vex the Midianites and smite them. Go after them, for they, for they vex you with their wiles, Wherewith they have beguiled you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby, who was the lady who was in the church, and the daughter of a prince of Midian, their sister, which was slain in the day of the plague for Peor's sake. So God told the children of Israel, hey, go after, strike that thing, go after that thing. Now, in the New Testament, in the New Testament, as we uh, read over here that Paul said that we need to arm ourselves so that we put on the whole, whole armor of God and we stand against the wiles of the enemy. Because the possibility exists for Satan to methodically plan against you and try to trick you, try to steal your joy. Come on, folks. He would love to do whatever he could to steal your joy. He'd love to do, to, to, to bring, uh, you know, uh, struggle between people and all the other things that go on. He's a master at that. And Paul is saying that it exists, or, or the, sorry, the scripture is saying it existed in the Old Testament. It exists in the New Testament here. Because we'll have an enemy until our bodies are changed. So, let's take a look. This quote will stop you in your tracks. Because there are some people who why don't we just read it? I stood there, he said, and there was a big tent erected where a man said he could cast out evil spirits, he said, of which I have no doubt. But evil spirits are not cast out by cruel and indifferent living. The most powerful weapon there is in the world is love. The most powerful weapon you have is love. And I stood by a little lady the other night where her husband was fixing to leave her and marry another woman. And she said, well, I'm going to leave, Brother Branham. And I said, don't do it, sister. She told me, he said, his ministry will be ruined. I'm going to New York, and I'm going to get me a job. And I said, don't do it. Don't do it, sister. I love Brother Branham's counseling sessions here. He said, what can I do, Brother Branham? And I said, go up to him. He said, well, I found that lady's picture that my husband was messing with, and I broke it, I smashed it up, I broke it up. He said, I see that. I said, but go up to him and put your arms around him and say, sweetheart, no matter what you've done, I still love you. He said, that'll do it. It was right. Easier said than done. But I'm just telling you what he said. Because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. 
Let's define spiritual warfare. Spirits are never neutral, right? We know they're never neutral. Spirits always try to get you to do something. Uh, when, when music is played, music will always encourage you to do something, to lift your hands and worship. It causes some people to dance. I mean, it, 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 there, there are, there's a spirit behind everything. And spirits are never neutral. They always have an agenda. If I understand it right, back in the very beginning, there was a division uh, between all the angels. And some of them went this way, some of them went that way. So it's either one way or the other. They're never neutral, though. Also, as well, we can say spirits are always trying to take you somewhere. Every spirit's trying to move you to uh, impress you somewhere. Uh, deceptive spirits will promise you great things, but bring you to bad places. Brother Branham said in Go Wake Jesus, he said, sin is unbelief, and there's only two types, two things that every person in the world is living by. That is either faith or unbelief. There's no halfway between. So, therefore, we're, we're, we're under an influence, if you like. We are impressed by spirits that are trying to take us to one place or another. Very often, the problem is not sin. The very often, the problem is a lack of discernment of what it is that Satan's really trying to do. And to realize that uh, the Holy Spirit would do everything he possibly could to counter that. But we had to be open to uh, how spirits work. All right. So James says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. And let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. All right, so principle number one, God does never tempt people with evil towards evil. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So remember now, an outward manifestation is a result of something that's going on on the inside. So if a man is tempted, he's drawn away of something that's taken place inside. Are we okay? In other words, there is an adultery committed and then lust begins. It's the other way around. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. So you can see that spirits here, as he's referring to, are trying to get you somewhere. They're trying to bring you somewhere. They're trying to deliver you somewhere. And James is using the negative side of it here, and he says, don't blame God for the things that you've been tempted and fallen into. He says, God does not tempt with evil. Uh, it doesn't do that. It doesn't work that way. That would be contrary to his, uh, to his whole program. All right, so when James says a man is drawn away... It is metaphorically, uh, like in hunting and fishing, uh, like game would be lured from its hiding place, so a man is lured from the safety of self-restraint to sin. That's an amazing thing, because when you, when you go after a fish, you're trying to make that lure look as real and as natural uh, as you possibly can, right? You're, 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 just, uh, you're just wanting that lure to be just like another lunch floating down the river for a fish, and, and attractive enough that he's going to come out of his safe place, going to come out of his hiding place and risk it and go for it. So he is alert from the safety of self-restraint to sin. There is never a fisherman going to be successful if he puts a hook down there and puts something that's, that's uh, uh, you know, dangerous looking and uh, point to it and say, grab onto this, buddy, and you're a goner. He's going to do it the opposite. He's going to make it as attractive and natural because he's trying to draw someone out. 
He's trying to lure him. All fishermen know how to do that. You're all about trying to lure that fish away from where uh, his hiding place is. And when that conceives, it means that we're going to take that one as prisoner. It is that which impulses a man, and in a hostile sense, it makes him a permanent prisoner. The whole idea of fishing with a barbed hook is to make that fish a prisoner of yours. And you're going to try to make that thing act as normal and natural as possible, and that fish is going to look at that and study that, make a decision, and he's going to go for it. But he doesn't realize that taking the wrong thing, as nice as it looks, taking the wrong thing, is going to make him a permanent prisoner. It's going to take a hold of him, and then he's not going to have the choice to let go. A lot of people feel like that, you know, I can play with stuff. I can play with pornography and I can erase my history and I can, uh, you know, I can, I, I can play with things and I can say things and, uh, you know, I can do whatever that program is. I should ask all the boys who don't shave yet. There's, there's communication programs that are on people's phones that, uh, after so many hours, they're gone. The, the messages are gone. The pictures are gone. There's no more history. It's gone. So we feel like I have no accountability. No one's going to find out. Huh. And so therefore, they can play with that. They can play with that until, and I will tell you something. If I would just like to say this this way. That if you're a Christian communicating with other Christians, what have we got to hide? Why do we need the history to disappear? I should be able, really, I'm not asking anybody to do this, but I should be able to give you my devices. Because I'm not afraid of what you discover on them. But what people don't realize, what young people especially don't realize that's where youth and zeal kind of feel like, hey, I got this. I got the technology. My folks don't even know. And I can communicate whatever way I want to, and nobody knows. And they don't realize that all that is is Satan making it look okay, making it look like it's normal, making it look like everybody does it, and wanting to reel that person in. And Satan, when he reels a person in, he'll abandon them quicker than anything. And leave him high and dry. Satan doesn't often stand in your defense. Spirits seek to make you feel good, but only temporarily. Spirits will make you feel good. They'll promise you the world, like Elvis Presley. Spirits will also take you deeper and deeper into valleys which become darker and darker. And we need to understand This darkness here that I'm referring to. You'll find yourself getting further and further from God. And you can never satisfy a spirit because it always wants more. Spirits know where to keep going. Even when you run out of ideas. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 27, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of a man are never satisfied. You can't look at enough stuff on the internet and... Feel like, okay, that's it. I got my fill. That's it. I don't need any more. That's not the way 
fallen nature works. That's not, that's not the way that darkness within you works. Spirits know how to pull you deeper and deeper. There is a thing called the dark web, right? And uh, I, I, I told you one time before, a couple of years ago, when uh, I got a notice from uh, a computer watch thing, somebody, somebody had sent me a notice and said, hey, we just found out that your email address and password was sold on the dark web. That's all they said. They didn't say by who, and they didn't say what the result of that's going to be, except you can imagine. And, uh, you know, they had all kinds of dire warnings for me that, you know, this was found on the dark web. So, all right, what's a dark web? So you begin to explore this. And the moment you begin to explore it, you draw back because you don't want to, you don't want to know much more about this whole area. But all of a sudden you realize there's a whole other world. It's like you lift the lid and you see all these worms that are there, all these things that are in existence in this other dimension, if you like. And then you lift it a little bit further and you realize, wow, this is a pretty potent, powerful thing. This is something that I don't want to have anything to do with. And all it is, all it is, folks, is the result of how that Satan tries to pull somebody and to imprison them, always promising them something better. If I get a little bit more, it'll be better. If I get a little bit more, it'll be okay, and I'll be satisfied. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. But Satan promises you that you'll feel good, you'll feel better uh, if you uh, proceed down this pathway. So let me say it this way. I'm going to end with a graphic here. Brother Branham says in the entombment. Now, he explains this graphic I'm going to use. I've showed you this before. Some of you would have seen it. But Brother Branham explains this several times in several different messages, okay? And what he's describing is the dimensions that exist above us and below us here on the earth. And he said, where did he leave when he left? The Bible said he ascended and just uh, below the regions of the lost and souls that were in prison and so forth. He explains that in, in this uh, few sentences here. And he says, see, mortal beings lay below the realm of demon power and below that lays the souls of the unjust. And below that, he said, it rem- is the... Dimension of hell, the domain of Satan, which is hell. And above us, he said, lays the Holy Spirit. Under the altar lays the souls of just men. The next is God himself. One going downward, one going upward. There's a dimension that is going upward and a dimension that's going downward. And he said, those two spirits are here on the earth influencing people of this earth. So obviously, spirits of darkness are trying to influence people downward. And people who are, uh, so uh, here's, here's the way he says it. And I'm drawing from several statements here. Brother Bram says, when you look on the earth, if you are lifted above the, the earth and looked at it, there's a stream of humanity, and every now and then you see a point of light. And he said, that's a believer, that's a Christian. And he says, below that, he said, there are evil spirits. Just below that, the realm that we live in and see. Now, like I say, uh, we are very much influenced by things that we see. Uh, I, I think that's where the term clickbait I'm not sure what that, what that actually means, but I, it, is, it is something to bait you into clicking what you really shouldn't be clicking because it's going to draw you in. And uh, there, are, there are things out there that entice you, and they're enticing you in one direction or another. And the way Brother Branham describes it, he says there's uh, you know, evil spirits that are actually pouring themselves into the, the dimension that we live in. But they're unseen. And he says, below that, souls of unjust men. And he says, this is where he went when he uh, was in that operation as a young boy. And he says, below that, the domain of Satan. Above this, he said, there's another realm where angels operate. Souls of just men. And then he said, of course, the realm of God, which is heaven. 
And so therefore, on this earth, we are subject to the influence of both of these sides. And he says they're here. And he says they're pouring themselves out and trying to influence people. Well, obviously, obviously Satan, if he's going to try to pull you down to what, he, what, what would be his final destination, which is hell, he's got to make it enticing for you. He's got to lure you in a way that's going to be attractive to you. And the spiritual warfare begins when those temptations begin. And when he whispers in your ear, and tries to pull you in a direction that's contrary to the word. But he's pretty good at it. He's pretty good at it. And our problem, our, our great, sometimes our great dilemma is, if we know where that spirit is coming from, then we should act on it right then. Rebuke the devil and he will flee from you. That's what the Bible says. But sometimes people don't know what to rebuke. Because it's pretty. Or it's nice sounding or nice feeling. It can be feeling nice. It can make you feel nice. It can make you feel good. It can make you feel uh, worthwhile. You know, it, it can give you a, a certain buzz and a certain feeling. And so, therefore, you, you think, well, maybe that's not so bad. And our problem is we don't really know where that's leading us. Wow. Pretty challenging. So Brother Branham said, now that's what makes the devil take its flight. He said, you just let somebody start a little something around the church, and the first thing, oh, is that so? You don't mean that. Right then, the Holy Spirit goes and flies away. It just can't stand that kind of spirit. So you've got two spirits now that are working, right? And he says, as long as that lamb nature leaves you, then the Holy Ghost is gone. He said, that's what's the matter today. And that's the reason people are in the condition they are is because they let the wrong spirit come into their heart and into their life. Wow. None of us, I mean, if we had a show of hands, none of us would want to have the wrong spirit come into our life. None of us would want to have the wrong thing come uh, and influence us or try to drag us in the wrong direction. But it takes discernment to recognize it takes discernment to recognize that that truly is an enemy. That's pulling me contrary to the word, even though it might make me feel good. That's where the great battle is. And I will tell you, you'll never, you'll never get to that, you'll never get to that point of having sharp discernment as long as you're living in the middle of these two rivers. You're better off siding with one or the other. You're better off getting in or get out. You're better off being hot or cold. But living in the middle, in Laodicea, they did not even have an accurate assessment of their own selves. They said, hey, we're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. I look at myself in the mirror and I look at how other people look at me and what people say about me. And you know what? On the curve, I'm pretty good. And they're completely under a misconception about their own view of themselves. You're better off getting in or getting out, one or the other. And when pastors see people looking at themselves and uh, you know, confused about what the thing really looks like. You know what, Brother Bram, like Brother Bram says, they get to working on that. They get to working on that, putting it in there. Because you know what? It is far more effective when the word is preached and the Holy Spirit takes that word and drops it into the heart of somebody and they come to a conclusion because they know it's the Holy Spirit rather than me trying to stand you up in my office and say, rah, 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 rah. That could easily become legislation. But I will tell you what, the Word of God should have free course among us enough so that when it's preached correctly, 
The Holy Spirit, what, what, what our prayer, what every pastor's prayer is, and what Brother Branham's prayer is, he's that the Holy Spirit would take that word like, like the Holy Spirit took one of the rocks out of David's slingshot and it went right to the heart of the enemy, destroyed that enemy, and brought victory. That's the way it should operate, shouldn't it? But in order to do that, we've got to look into the perfect law of liberty like a mirror and, and allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and know our hearts and know if there's something that's not right. Hey, we need to adjust that. We need to make it right. You say, Brother Barry, it sounds pretty easy. It sounds pretty straightforward. It does. But you know what? Here's Brother Branham telling us in the message. He says, I, I go across the country, he says, and I preach about the women and their short skirts and all the other things. He said, I come back a year later, and guess what? It's worse. And you know what? In fairness, a lot of those people were not in the message. They were in denominations, right, who came to hear Brother Branham. Because there were not many churches in Brother Branham's, not many message churches in Brother Branham's day, right? There just wasn't many message churches in Brother Branham's day. So many of them were influenced by denominational ways and denominational standards and everything else. But anyway, he's preaching the word, and the word is not able to convict. The word is not able to move those people in the right direction. The word is not able to bring those people to the right place of repentance. And so Brother Branham comes back next year and is worse. i got a question for us. Not a question for you, but a question for us. Would all the preaching that goes on here and the ministries that come through here, we should be on the up and up every year, shouldn't we? Because we are the people who know better. We are the people who claim to be in the message. We are the people who claim to know and believe and respect and love a prophet who came and brought a message. My goodness, we should be, we should not be getting worse and worse. We should be going better and better, closer and closer to the kingdom. I guarantee you, whenever you begin to make strides towards the kingdom, that's when the enemy is going to fight. And he's going to fight hardest because he knows you're getting close to the kingdom. How you respond to Satan's attack matters. How you respond to things that Satan will try to lay on God's people. Let me tell you, that, that's, that's a mark of our maturity. That's a mark of our, our, our real Christianity. Because it's expected. I mean, the closer we get to the goal, that's when the pressure is greatest. It's when desperation sets in. But for us, it shouldn't be getting worse and worse. For us, we shouldn't have to repeat things over and over and over again, uh, you know, to the same people. Hey, uh, you know what? We should be, we should be praying and we should be praying often and we should be praying when we come to the church. And Lord, open my heart, open my mind that when the, when the word is preached and if it is you, Lord, then these signs will follow them that believe. And let the first sign be my life changed and transformed into what you have intended me to be. That's really what we're after. And I'll tell you what. Pastors, when they see a lack, they start in on that. Because what else are you going to do? What else are you going to do? Preach, be instant in season, out of season. In other words, in the Greek, that means tell the people when they want to hear it and when they don't want to hear it. Tell them anyway. That's exactly what that means in the Greek. So here's Brother Branham, 1959. Lord, we need faith. Let's have our musicians, if you just slip up here. I want more faith. My desire in this life 
And for this new year coming is more faith in God. God, take away any doubt that's in my mind. If there should ever arise one. Satan fights at me. He fights at you. He tries to shoot his arrows. But may I have that shield of faith always before me to withstand the wiles of the devil and knock off his fiery darts is my sincere prayer. God bless you. Let's stand to our feet. The children of Israel realized when it came to their greatest struggle with Pharaoh, they got on the other side of the bank of that river, they looked back and they said, our God fights. Our God's a warrior. The best thing you can do. And Israel did not go horizontal when they saw Pharaoh come against them. Israel didn't try to fight Pharaoh this way. Israel was successful because they kept their focus this way. They kept their eyes on God. They wanted to know what, hey, unless God moves, we're sunk. Unless God moves, we'll never make it to the other side. Unless God moves, you know what? Uh, we are subject to the strength of Pharaoh. And there is absolutely, we have no, we have no might that we can offer against an army like Pharaoh's army, the superpower of the world. And so therefore we have, uh, we, we have our complete reliance upon God. And when they saw God move in such a supernatural way, they got over on the other side and they said, hey, our God is a God of war. He fights. He's a warrior. You know what? Uh, As if you haven't heard it before, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our best strategy, let me tell you, when when spiritual warfare starts, our best strategy is to go this way, not this way, but this way. And say, Lord, search my heart first. And if there's anything in my life, in my heart, Lord, I want to be right with you because I want to make every move in a way that, that... Uh, is pleasing to the Holy Spirit. I never want to react in a way that grieves the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, search my heart first. And help me, Lord, to be able to make that stand and to be able to uh, allow people to see that uh, right response in me. That's exactly what God wants to have us to do. And you know what? We've been trained better. We've been trained better. We've been trained in the Word, I think, in an advanced way. We have more Word opened up to us than any other Gentile group in history. Therefore, therefore, I think we should employ the teachings that God's given to us. I think we should use it because we're going to have struggles right out to the very end. What are you playing? I'm going to put my armor on. I'm going to stand in battle sing my Savior's song. Sitting on my circumstance too long I'm gonna put my armor on Sing it again now I'm gonna put my armor on I'm gonna stand in battle Sing my Savior been sitting on my circumstance too long. I'm gonna put my armor on. Oh, now I'm gonna put my armor on. And I'm gonna stand in battle, sing my 
circumstance too long Oh, I'm gonna put my armor on Oh, now I'm gonna put my armor on I'm gonna stand in you chose to bring it to us in this last day. Lord, we love your people. We love the fact, Lord, that you called us personally and individually 
made yourself so real to us that now, Lord, we stand by your grace. Lord, we we profess ourselves to be believers of your word. But Lord, it's not enough just for us to say that we believe, Lord. We, We want the Holy Spirit to put that word in us in action. Lord, we don't believe that we need a new message. We want this message to work and come alive in us. And Lord, do greater things in us. We want your Holy Spirit to have greater, a greater measure of control in our lives. Lord, control our mouth and control our mind and our thoughts, Lord, and our actions towards one another. Father, have your way, we pray. We love you, Lord, and we love how you care about us. And you're willing, Lord, even to send a word that helps adjust us and adjust our thinking. And sometimes, Lord, those adjustments are very small, they're very fine. And other times, Lord, they might be more substantial things in our lives. But, Lord, you do it because you, you love us and you care for us. Lord, it's no accident that this people, Lord, this people and believers like us all over the world are gathered together under the hearing of the Word of God. And, Lord, you're preparing us for another kingdom. You're preparing us, Lord, for another place to live. And the more you prepare us, the less we fit into this world. Lord, have your way, I pray. Search our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would bring the peace that passes understanding into every heart and every soul. We love you, Lord, with all of our heart. And we pray, Lord, for those that are in need tonight. We stand, Lord, with Sister Sharon McCafferty tonight and ask, oh God, that you would be gracious to her tomorrow and that procedure on her heart. And Lord, she has suffered long and I pray now that you would just guide the hand of the doctor and Lord may they do everything just exactly right and Lord we pray for those who are in recovery and need your touch tonight bless brother Chris Clavel and his family Lord and just I know they're praying for your protection over the whole family bless them Lord I pray tonight we love you and we we thank you bless the balance of our week Lord I pray guide us in your will in the name of Jesus our Lord we pray Amen. Deep down in my soul. Yes, he's got it all in control. Sing it as you go tonight. God bless you. Thank you for coming. God's got it all in control. He's got it all in control. Reassurance deep down in my soul. In control. Oh, He's my Lord.
There's no doubt. 